family ministry team is made up of myself, Kevin Cuthbertson, Connie Musselman, Mark Johnston, um, and then we will add a 20s and 30s person come fall, uh, and then the STS director will be part of that as well. But we met with him. Rand was actually there giving us some, uh, you know, laying his eyes on it from a youth ministry perspective and seeing uh, what this guy was like. The next thing I did was get him tested with the guy, Wes Johnson, that you heard preach last week. And then uh, Dr. Youssef uh, met him, and that's typically one of the situations here where, you know, Dr. Youssef is either thumbs up or thumbs down, you know. There's no middle road, it's just either thumbs up or thumbs down. And um, he was thumbs up, go ahead, keep going, but make sure he meets with the parent advisory team. So we gathered a parent advisory team, they met with him and questioned him for two solid hours. And uh, I mean, I sat there feeling really bad for him as he was sweating and answering questions. Mark was in the room, Leah was in the room that, that night. Uh, and I tried not to help him. I tried to just let him struggle and answer questions. That's just uh, uh, what you do with someone. Um, but after all of that, uh, there, was, there were yeses at every step of the way. And so we have extended a call to, and you can go ahead and put his picture up. Chris Jackson, he was our retreat speaker. And those who went on the retreat, you can, uh, talk to them and, and see what their assessment of him was. Um, if it's bad, please don't give it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Chris Jackson has spent most of the last few years at um, North Cobb Christian School as the middle school Bible head. So he's been in charge of that department there uh, with the curriculum and all of that. But other than that, you can tell he doesn't just spend all his time in the library. He's actually a coach as well. So he was the uh, JV football, JV baseball coach at North Cobb Christian School. And his passion in his own words is this, to effectively teach biblical truths to students so that they may develop a proper biblical worldview. It is my goal and prayer that students would seek Jesus Christ more intentionally, st study the scriptures more effectively, and glorify the Lord unceasingly. And that's his heart. And that's what he's coming here to do. Now he's younger, as you can tell. Mark and I want to come alongside him and the team that we have here. We are really excited as Mark and I are looking at this, and we've seen STS over the years. Mark, a lot longer than me because he's older than I am. I just wanted to point that out. Um, I love you, Mark. Um, <laughs> uh, want to help this team. We believe that this is one of the best teams we've ever seen. They just, their heart their passion, their ability to work together is just amazing. And uh, we saw, what we saw this weekend with, with or this week with Chris, um, as, uh, you know, Blake and Chris roomed together, which uh, uh, then all you did was see Blake and Chris together the rest of the weekend. It was amazing. And um, just watching them, we're so encouraged. And we want to come alongside Chris and the team as that next generation of STS leadership steps up and takes the reins. Uh, Chris will be introduced in person on August 5th. He won't teach that day. The teaching that day will be by our own Will Crumley. So we're looking forward to that. And Will has promised me that he won't share any conspiracy theories with you that day. Um, August 12th, Chris Jackson will be here and he will either teach or I will, I'll have an interview with him. On, on the 12th, we haven't discussed what that's going to look like. Um, but August 5th, he will be here in person, and you can come and meet him afterwards and talk to him and get to know him uh, if you haven't met him already. 
Um, and then an STS, we're going to have an STS families meeting on, at 9 a.m. on August 19th so that your parents can all meet him as well. Some of them will meet him, we'll be down here meeting him next week as well. Um, now, having introduced him, I want to say this. Directors are wonderful. Directors are God-given. Leaders are God-given. But what Scripture shows us and what Scripture tells us is the most important leader to have in your life is Jesus Christ leading you by the Holy Spirit in your heart. Turn to Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's always an interesting proposition when new leadership takes the reins. Father, help us to remember what you teach here, that the most important leadership that we have is the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And may you call us to that in the way that you have designed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember when I was uh, very little, uh, probably at seven years old, maybe eight years old. Back then, it was a time before 9-11. It was a time before uh, TSA frisked you for having a bottle of water. It was a time before any of that stuff, and you could actually, in Chattanooga at Lovell Field, walk up stairs outside and go to an observation deck and watch airplanes take off. And I remember one uh, particular business trip, we escorted my dad to the gate. We couldn't go past the gate. He went through the gate. But before he went to the gate, he turned to me, and, he, and I was the only boy, and he, and he said to me, son, while I'm gone, you're the man of the house. And I had absolutely no idea what that meant. And then he turned and he went to the gate. And I'm sitting there turning it around in my head. I'd, he had never said that to me before. And I was stewing on it. I was, I was uh, really thinking about it. And I felt whatever that was, it was a sense of leadership and it was a sense of authority. What I see now was what he meant to me was, look, you are going to lead by example and your sister is going to follow you. So I need you to do what you can to support your mom and be there. Be a leader. Don't be a follower. Not, not now. And so 
as I'm turning this over in my head, we walk up to that observation deck and I'm, I'm just, I'm filled with all kinds of anxiety because I'm seven years old and my dad's leaving and I'm thinking, I can't do this. I can't do what he just asked me to do. I'm seven. What am I going to do? Someone breaks into the house, what am I going to do? You know, give him a good karate chop to the ribs. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I watched his plane take off and disappear into the clouds. And my mom's like, it's time to go. And I didn't want to leave. Because leaving meant I actually had to do what he told me to do. Now, as I think of Acts 1, 1 through 11, I think of that very thing going, turning inside the disciples. He just told them that what they expected was not going to happen. What they expected was, Jesus was now, hey, look, their guy just came back from the dead. Lots of power. And in their minds, what he was going to do was he was going to vanquish the Roman Empire put the Pharisees in check, and he was going to set about in restoring the kingdom to Israel, and they were going to be part of the royal court. Well, yes, one day that would happen, but that was not his immediate plan. His immediate plan was that they be his witnesses, and he gives them a vision of what he wants them to do, and he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Now, we think about that geographically, and that's, that's great. We're supposed to think about that ge geographically. But I really want you to think about what the disciples were feeling at that moment. At that moment, their expectations had been shattered. Their leader was leaving. And they probably were fil filled with a thought of, I can't do this. It's impossible. I can't do everything he just asked me to do. For multiple reasons. One, they're going to be facing a lot of opposition. Just in Jerusalem alone. Not to consider Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth where the Roman Empire was in control. But more than that, they had their own internal prejudices that they were dealing with. So as we think about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, I want you to think it, instead of geographically, think about it relationally. As I think about STS, the name, the acronym means student to student. What does that mean? It means that just as Jesus empowered his disciples, he by his Holy Spirit will empower you too. It's not just about whoever stands up here. It's about how the Holy Spirit is leading you and what he's leading you to do. And what he's leading you to do is what he's saying here to his disciples. Student to student is this. Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. What does that mean practically? It means this. We're called to take the gospel to those we know and love that's our Jerusalem and Judea. Those are the people who are part of our culture, the people are, our people that we see every day, the ones we know very, very well. Two, Samaria, those we know and we don't love for whatever reason, or we just don't like them. And third, people we've not yet met. 
Each different group has its own personal struggle that the Holy Spirit has to help us overcome. The first group you think it would be easy to share the gospel or witness to, but here's the problem. How many of you have ever experienced trying to share the gospel with a loved one or a close friend and you feel shut down? Or you try to do what's right or speak what's true and you feel more of a pressure to cave to what they, because of what they think of you rather than speak the truth. If you haven't, you will. You will experience that because it's very real. Because in our relationships, we get to the point where we so much care what someone thinks about us rather than being called to do what the Lord has called us to do and share with them the gospel. I know I've been there. I've had this own struggle in my own family. I remember one, one year, my mom had given up on, the, on organized religion and I bought her a Bible for Christmas because she had the old KJV. I'm not knocking the KJV, I'm just saying. A little harder to read. And I gave, got her a Bible and she opened it and her face fell. And she looked at me, not with eyes of thank you, but of eyes of, I can't believe you got me this. What are you trying to say about me? And that caused one of the biggest fights we ever had. I'm happy to say that she knows the Lord and she's following the Lord now, but that was a very difficult season in her life. She'd been through a whole lot and she felt like the church had never been there for her. And she had a lot to work through. She was angry and she was bitter and she was not very happy that her son was going to be a pastor because it brought it way too close to home. As students, you're going to encounter people every single day in your schools, in your friend networks, that don't want to hear the truth. And what you can't do is just muster up the courage to speak it. That's not what Jesus says here. In fact, he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit because without him, they can't do it. If they had prematurely gone ahead into Jerusalem and said, hey guys, guess what? We're bringing the kingdom. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it would have gone nowhere. But Jesus' promise is that he doesn't leave them leaderless. He leaves them his Holy Spirit. And he will empower you. Inasmuch as we're walking with him in truth and in prayer and asking him to embolden us, we can speak truth to those where we just feel peer pressure is way too high. But two, what does student to student mean in the sense that we're to take the gospel to those that we know and we don't love. Look, there are a lot of people that you have to deal with on a daily basis that you just don't like, right? I mean, there are a lot of people you see, especially at church maybe, and you just don't get along with them. For the disciples, the Samaritans were the people that, that they just didn't associate with. If you read the account of, of the Samaritan woman at the well, it says specifically, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And yet Jesus doesn't go around Samaria like 
all the Jews did, he goes straight through it. In fact, he doesn't just go straight through it. He sits at a well and he waits for a woman who isn't only a Samaritan, but she's a woman who is caught in a lifestyle that even the Samaritans think is degrading. This isn't the kind of person that the Jews liked. What Jesus is telling them is that they're going to have to overcome their internal prejudices of who they believe deserves the gospel, who they believe should be part of the kingdom. Because that's not our choice to make. That's the Holy Spirit's choice to make. And so it's not student to the students we like, it's students to all students. It's students who are, um, might be the kind of people that we think would never ever darken the door of a church or a youth group. And I've told you before in times past about a friend of mine who was not a friend when I was, when I was in high school early on, but he was the guy that sat behind me, dressed in all black, listened to The Cure, was a drug, known drug user, and would pick on me unmercifully in health class so that he would whisper in my ear so that the teacher didn't hear. There's like 40 people in this room. And he's like, I can't, I can't really whisper what he was whispering to me in my ear. But I'm just sitting there. He's going to hurt me. He's going he's to hurt me. And that whole time, I'm terrified. And I probably have related you to the story of the day that I was in the mall and I saw this man walking towards me and I, was in, in, and I had nowhere to run. And he saw me. And he knew my name, which scared me. Because I didn't think he called me anything but the names he called me when he was in health class and he comes after me with a friend and then he comes up and he and he grabs me and he hugs me and I don't know what's going on I'm just sitting there like this what's up and he tells me that he's come to know that Jesus is savior and lord and he's at the he's at the mall for the purpose of finding people he knows to tell them and to witness to what Jesus has done in his life. And I'm floored. I'm floored because I didn't have enough faith to believe that this guy could ever love Jesus. He and I went on to be close friends. And if you've ever left, or seen anybody who's ever left the world of addiction, it wasn't an easy path for him. And he would call me sometimes at two or three in the morning to come get him and to speak truth to him when he had failed. That kind of relationship is not possible without the Holy Spirit. There's no way, sociologically speaking, that this man should ever have changed his heart. Much less that he and I would ever be as close as we were. I want you to think about who these disciples were. They were zealots, they were Pharisees, they were fishermen, they were ignorant Galileans, they were tax collectors. And Jesus brought them all together. The God of the universe was not ignorant when he brought these people together. He brought them together to show that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can bring people together to love in a way that's beyond their natural ability. And he's brought you together for that purpose. I don't care 
how much your daddy makes. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you live. Jesus in his sovereignty has brought you here. And if he's brought you here and you are his, he's given your spirit to be able to relate to anybody from any walk of life. Trust me. I've been friends with people I, I never thought I'd be friends with. Because Jesus saves people we don't think Jesus saves. But third, and finally, those we don't yet know. The hardest thing to do is to, is to walk into a group where nobody knows you. There's a safety in that. And some of you in this room have grown up together. You've known each other most of your lives. That's hard to break into. It's hard to break into for an extrovert who's like, hey everybody, I'm new, how y'all doing? But it's really hard for the introvert who just wants to hold the wall up and not be looked at. How you approach those people is really by the leading of the Holy Spirit because sometimes introverts are very, you get to approach them very carefully. And sometimes extroverts have a, have a thinner skin than you think they do. We all want to be invited in and we all want to be accepted. But if student to student is going to grow and student to student is going to thrive, what we're going to have to do is turn to the Holy Spirit and say this, I don't see new people. I don't mean not to see new people, Lord. I, I, I just don't. And when I see them, I'm kind of scared too. I don't, I don't know what to say. Help me. Help me overcome that fear. Help me be able to talk to them. Help me to invite them in. Or maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's the fact that, look, I come here on a Sunday morning to see my friends and I don't really want anyone else upsetting the apple cart. Okay, I really don't want to pull anybody into this. Okay, I understand that desire. I really do. But what Jesus is asking them to do is he's asking them to bring people into the kingdom of God who were never part of the kingdom of God before. He's asking them to sacrifice something for the kingdom. And I'm guaranteeing you it's worth it. It's worth it to see somebody who needs an invite to be part of a group. It's not just an invite to be down here. It's an invite to, are you looking for someone to hang out with this morning? Come along with me. Because it's one thing when people who are paid to do this do that. Because guess what? Visitors go, yeah, that person's paid to do that. They're paid to welcome me and light me and, 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 and draw me in. But if we're going to be student to student, there's something amazing about the fact that students come alongside other students and pull them in. This is your group. God has gifted you. He's gifted you all. And it's amazing to see you use your gifts up here. But there's more than just gifts of worship. There's hospitality. There's teaching. 
There's the ability to sit at a group and share from your heart and be vulnerable enough so that the people at your table can see, I want to be able to share what they share and how they share it. The most amazing group I ever saw or was a part of was with my college group. When we started the college group, I, what I was amazed about is how frequently they would see the new person and pull them in and they became their new friend by the end of the night. It made my job very easy because I didn't have to be the one who was always, hey, come here, I want you to meet so-and-so, I want you to meet so-and-so because they were the ones doing that. And not only that, they were the ones who were coming up with the get-togethers and inviting people. Sure, I did some, but they were always on top of it, creating a sense of what the Bible calls koinonia, commonality. So if I have a prayer for you this morning, and I'm wrapping it up, and you've been very attentive, and I thank you for that. If I have a prayer for you this morning, it's this, that no matter who leads from up here, that you will be leaders in the way that God has equipped you to. That you'll be the ones who bring buy-in. That you be the ones that, that reach out. That you be the ones that are witnesses for Christ in your schools and in your church by loving and welcoming other people. And it is our promise to you that we will, we will do our best to make sure that we offer you opportunities to grow in your gifts and to be encouraged and staff members and leaders that are going to listen and love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that has spoken to us bind with the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I thank you that you gift not just adults, but that you gift students who, like Timothy, set an example for people of different ages. I pray that you will indwell this group of people, that you would open their hearts and that you would reach out to those they come in contact with every day, their family, their friends, their schoolmates, but that would be amplified here in this room every Sunday, every Wednesday. Empower us because without your power, we can do nothing. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.